This is Talk Is Sheep, the official podcast of the Wild Sheep Society of BC, brought to you by Sitka Come along as we bring conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. This episode is sponsored by our conservation partner, Precision Optics. Thank you Sitka Gear and Precision Optics for investing in healthy wildlife and sustainable ecosystems. Well, good morning, Chuck. Welcome to Talk is Sheep. It's awesome to get you on the uh, cast and talk sheep, I guess, and hunting and all kinds of fun stuff. Yeah, right on, Kyle. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. So there's a whole bunch of stuff we want to chat about today. And, um, you know, we're going to jump into some hunting stuff here at the front end. But for those listeners, we got a really cool, exciting new platform, which we're going to jump into. And I'm not going to, I'm going to let you intro it, but, uh, so let's talk a little hunting to start with, but then we're going to segue right into this new platform that you guys are working on and something that's a really, really cool new initiative that uh, we're excited to be part of. Yeah, perfect. Cool. So, okay, first of all, Chuck, you're a Wild Sheep Society BC member, um, longtime hunter, sheep hunter. Um, let's uh, let our listeners know who the heck is Chuck Peeling and, and what's your story? <laughs> Yeah, well, it's not all that exciting, but I uh, spent the first 20 years of my life in uh, sort of central Saskatchewan, uh, just outside of Saskatoon. So I grew up on a dirt farm out there, and for us, our family, it was all about, um, you know, hunting deer for hunting deer primarily for uh, meat in the freezer. And as my father used to tell me, he used to say, cows are for cash, deer is for dinner. That was kind of his line, so... You know, I grew. I started hunting deer at a really young age, and then uh, moved out to BC when I was about 20. Uh, married a pretty farm girl in Saskatchewan, came out here and uh, raised three wonderful kids. And um, you know, spent spent the you know the next I'm not going to count them, but lots of years out in the bush in BC and in the mountains. And all three of my kids are very much into hunting. Um, I've got two that live in BC. My youngest is a conservation officer in Northern BC. Uh, my middle one, Blake, who's uh, my partner on the uh, Spike Camp platform, he's a BC boy, and then my oldest boy lives in California and comes up every year to hunt. So yeah, I'm very, very big into the into the uh, hunting scene in our family. Okay, so uh, you, you talk in my language. You, you said farm, so I grew up on a farm too. It's same thing, right? Yeah. It was like um, from the youngest ages, we you know that was what we did. We lived off. Uh, you know, we did. We weren't wealthy farmers. We weren't the rich ones with the the fancy no, new trucks. So uh, for us, uh, you know, wildlife and you know was sustenance, right? You know, we'd go out and we'd all get our deer every year, and that's what you know kept us fed throughout the winter. And we did have cows, and you're right, cows are for cash, and deers for dinner. That's I've never heard that, but it's brilliant. So uh, yeah. first of all, how close were you? Close to Saskatoon? You said what community were you in? In around? so well, if you're familiar with. Uh, Cody Robbins, um, I'm sure you've heard. I've you heard know, of that him. guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's a, he's he's yeah. kind of a big <laughs> deal. Uh, he's from the Delal area, and that's where I was. So it's about 30 miles, sort of southwest of Saskatoon. Uh, Jim Shockey's family's all from that area too. And actually, my my uncle uh, went to school with some of the some of Jim's cousins and stuff. So that's the general area. So when I grew up, there was uh, we didn't really hunt a lot of mule deer in that area. It was mostly whitetail closer down to the river. But um, yeah, it's um, it's great area, lots of animals out there. 
Yeah, right on. And uh, you guys grew up like you like it was a it was your family. Did they stay out there on the farm? Like you you left, came to the coast, but uh, is there still the family farm out there? No, actually. So uh, my so my family uh, we sold our farm when I was I don't know I was probably ten or twelve, and then moved into Delisle, and then uh, from there uh, the Saskatoon area. And at twenty we moved out. My my wife is from a little farther south, uh, kind of down in the Eston Elrose area, Kindersley. And her family had a farm there as well. And she still got lots of relatives and cousins and stuff. So after we moved to BC, uh, I did the uh, Canadian resident whitetail hunt every year for probably 20 years. I would go back last week in November for whitetail out there. And then the Saskatchewan government changed that over to a draw. And unless you have like a direct blood relative, you know, sister, brother, father whatever you're you're stuck in a pool of uh, you're never going to get drawn so now i just go out usually i try to get out there for a goose hunt now that's about it yeah right on and my understanding out with the with mule deer out there you can't get a draw it's be, like saskatchewan exactly. residents only unless it's a guided hunt that's correct yeah and i think the the guiding is limited to uh first nations if i'm not mistaken so even outfitters yeah. can't there's no real outfitting for mule deer and that's just absolutely crazy. You go out there, especially, uh, you know, in the southern southern half of the province. I mean, you can drive out in some areas and just, you know, dozens and dozens of 200-plus-inch mule deer out there. And, you know, the cousins will get a draw. I think it's about every five years you average a draw out there. And, um, you know, the our family anyway, those guys are very selective. When that five years comes up, they're, they're looking for tanks. And they're just they're – just, amazing they're so huge same as alberta though yeah yeah well those you know you talk about a three or 350 pound whitetail and people are like yeah right like they don't even believe you but uh it's like okay don't believe me but just go out there and watch somebody kill one and you'll see what i'm talking about so exactly um, yeah yeah for sure green fed Uh, did you yeah exactly did you guys hunt anything else other than whitetail did you hunt like obviously there's a pretty good mule uh, moose population out there and Obviously, there's elk and all that sort of stuff. You hunt anything else out there? You know, when I was young, so I moved out, um, like I said, when I was about 20. And uh, in those days, we didn't really see a lot of moose, um, you know, especially in the in south of Saskatoon. Uh, more so after we left, you started to see more and more of it. And eventually, now they're everywhere. They're out throughout the farmland and they uh, hang around all those old farmyards and, you know, anywhere there's a little bit of bush. And, um, it's a, it's pretty easy to get a draw. I think the guys will get a draw out there every probably every two to three years now. I think so, but no, for us we were primarily deer hunters, and then I didn't really get into the bigger species till we got to BC. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah, same with me. Growing up there, I you know we never seen in our country, and actually I just grew up just outside of Kindersley. I wasn't too far from where your wife grew up. I was just across the border there um, in okay. Alberta, and yeah. we never seen any mule deer elk and then all of a sudden it just uh you know kind of right when i was leaving the country it just sort of exploded now there's tons of elk and stuff around there and uh, a lot of moose too so yeah pretty cool yeah Yeah. exactly now those guys bug me like we'll go on an elk hunt here you know 10 days and we might see one bull or you call last year and it's over so (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely and you guys do much bird hunting out there at all or not really it was mostly big game yeah, the bird hunting is uh, the big thing out there. It's um, uh, especially in the south when the when the uh, 
migratory birds come through. It's amazing. You know, just the skies. I'm sure you saw it where you were from too, just millions of geese in the air. And uh, the upland uh, hunting is great. Um, you know, just um, when I go back now, it's usually three or four days we do a big goose hunt, maybe a little bit of upland, and that's about it. But yeah, I do miss that though. That's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. You know, the one thing for me, like, and I, I, I've never really, well, I have never hunted Saskatchewan, uh, but uh, hunting Alberta is just the wildlife abundance there. Like, you get oh, out there yeah. and you just see a lot of animals, right? Like, you'll you'll go out on a mule deer hunt or antelope or whatever the case may be, and you literally see dozens, certainly, but, you know, quite often hundreds of, of animals just on the landscape. It's it really cool is. Yeah, that, that's, that that's, that's what I love it about, you know, the most. You get out there and there's never a dull moment, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, lots to see. Okay, so let's fast forward. So now you came to the coast. Um, as soon as you came out here, did you start hunting right away, or was it kind of took a while to get your, your Actually, I started your right away. Uh, when we got out here, we'd started a family business in uh, Vancouver. So, um, you know, we were young entrepreneurs struggling to make a living, so we didn't have a lot of time. So I, I kind of cut a deal with my wife where I would get one week a year, and one of my uh, relatives, my uncle, was uh, a millwright, and he was in uh, Tumblr Ridge. And he was out here before we were. So as soon as I got out here and got my hunting licenses all organized, um, I went up for my first moose hunt, first moose hunt ever, and it was in the Tumblr area. We did uh, ATV into the backcountry, and that was, you know, that was quite a few years ago before all the oil and gas really took off up there. And, you know, it was pretty remote wilderness where we were, and I ended up shooting a bull on my first trip and I was hooked and then from that point uh, a couple years later a, a buddy of mine that was working at the same company as me he was an older gentleman he was part of a group of guys that had built uh, kind of a remote cabin in the uh, caribou uh, just sort of in this I guess it was in like late 60s they built this cabin in the bush and that uh, that was a draw for moose and I kind of became part of that club and he was really a uh, a mentor to me taught me how to moose hunt how to call them in how to deal with them and uh, you know it was he was the youngest guy of the group and at that time he was in his 70s so this that that camp had a lot of history and they had it dialed they had a shower set up they had they had an old truck that they had uh, back in there with winches on it they just left it there year round so that really those years was probably five or seven years and our group would try to pull tags and then get in there. And that, that really set the hook for me. Once I got into that remote stuff, it was, it was on. So do you still hunt that, uh, moose? You know, I haven't hunted that camp now in, in a long time. And I believe the forest fires got that camp. It's either, it, they were logging pretty close to it. And just like everywhere, okay. logging encroaches on some of those spots, especially if there's any kind of road access. I did do a hunt close to that area, just sort of one zone over. Um, I guess it would be 10 years ago, my boys and I did a, a group hunt with my father. And that was the last moose hunt that he went on. And we ended up, uh, we stayed up at a cabin at a lake and went out and got him a nice bull on, the, uh, on that group hunt. So it was fun. Cool. Okay, so you talked a little bit about that hunt and that experience and how it's remote, um, but it's not your typical mountain. Yeah. Like, so you, you're a sheep hunter now. So there's there's been a graduation. So t- 
talk about where you went from there to doing the remote experience to, um, you know, more of, you know, not so much having the camp and the trucks sure. and every, the luxuries that the, that the older. Yeah. So I, I can't remember which year there. it was. I want to say, um, it's not that long ago, probably about 2014 or 15. Um, I took my, uh, my two sons and one of my relatives from Saskatchewan. We actually booked a jet boat hunt through uh, Riverjet. And this is when Kevin Willis owned it. And uh, Kevin transported us in there and we did a hunt for, I think it was 10 or 12 days. And uh, we just absolutely loved it. And that was our first real remote trip. Uh, we were off the Toshoti River uh, did the spike camp uh, hunt into the back country. And when we got back, uh, we back to camp and we were being transported out. I was riding up front with Kevin and chatting and he made a comment to Blake and I at that time, we were both sitting right up at the front of the boat. He said, you know, I drove past your camp every single day at the river and we never, I never saw you guys once. You guys were always gone. You were in the back country. And I think we, you know, I think we, put on probably a hundred plus kilometers on our boots and um you know just busted our asses and came back and and he made a comment to us he said you guys are sheep hunters you just don't know it yet and then from there that that set the hook and i think the following year um my blake and i and another buddy did a sheep hunt we did a flying hunt out of region six and we were just we were just loving it every minute of it and so i ever since then i've been we've been going every year uh, Blake and I go every year for at least 10 days and of course you know he's young building his career in business and stuff so he's only got a limited amount of days that he can do it and uh, yeah so that's that's kind of how it evolves so every year now now we're on to the opener game we're doing sheep opener pretty much every year we're going back this year again so yeah awesome you guys doing we're, we're going to do a jet boat uh, trip this year Okay. So for our listeners, let's touch a little bit, bit about that. So I've had, you know, some new sheep hunters inquiring about, well, how do you do this? What, what do you even know? And, uh, you know, I, this weekend I was doing the Victoria Trade Show and a guy came up to me and he said, uh, you know, how do you get into sheep hunting? And he goes, I think I want to do a guided hunt. And I'm like, well, you know, it might be a little difficult as a Canadian or as a BC resident to do that because a lot of the outfitters are, you know, sometimes they'll take you, but it can be tough, right? So, um, you know, some, you got to find the right fit and, I said one one of the alternatives is you could do uh, get a packer to take you in, or the other one is to have somebody take you up on a river boat or some sort of yeah on the river boat jet boat and uh, so that experience. So I've actually never done that. Can you talk a little bit about what that experience is like and, and well, what's I, you involved? Know, I, with that whole I've process? done fly-ins now, and I've done several jet boat trips, and uh, you know they both have their pros and cons in in my opinion. Uh, the thing I like about the jet boat trips when you use a transporter, and, and realistically, there's only one jet boat transporter unless you're, tri you're going with buddies. But the nice thing about a jet boat trip is your drop day and your pickup day are pretty fixed. Something really bad has to happen before they're not coming to pick you up. Unlike doing the fly-ins where, you know, the weather is everything, right? So first of all, that's, you know, that's the... Uh, you know, that's one big advantage, in my opinion. Um, and the other thing is, you, you know, the operators, are, and if you're if you're a jet boat operator, whether you're a transporter or somebody that has their own boat, and you're familiar with those rivers, uh, you know, they they know the area really well. They know the water really well, and it it really 
you know, sheep can be anywhere. So if you get put into a spot that's known to be a good sheep hunting area, just get your boots on the ground and go. Cover as much ground as you can. Uh, you might run into other people with other jet boats that have gone into the same area. You might run into outfitters, but uh, as you know, Kyle, you could you could be staring at a mountain all day. Every two other guys could be staring at it all day, don't see a sheep, and then all of a sudden there they are. So that would be my advice: is like don't you know don't ever think you're in the wrong place when you're sheep hunting. Just get out and keep moving. Yeah, and you know the cool thing with the transporter is that they they know where the sheep are, right? Like that's what they do for a living. So they'll they'll drop you off at an area where there's sheep. You know where you go do it on your own. Sometimes you might get in a pocket where there's not any sheep, or you might you might not even be in a sheep area. Probably not. That's probably not the case. But um, you know those guys know where the sheep are. So I've always heard that guys generally get good results because they at least they're in sheep country. It doesn't mean they're going to get a sheep, but they're going to be in the right area. And like you said, and and then. I think, you know, yeah, Riverjet right, yeah. is who you go, guys go yeah. with, right? Yeah. So for listeners, uh, the big one out of BC here is Riverjet Adventures. Kevin Willis owned yeah, it before. Jason and now it's, yeah, uh, Is it yeah. Jason that owns it? Yeah. Yeah. So Jason runs that outfit and a uh, very established outfit, and they do a good job, right? And they don't – it's not like they drop off like six parties in one drainage, right? I think they're they are very about They're very good about that. that. So, you know, Jason does um, – for the sheep opener – um, there's basically two river systems that he transports in is, you know, the Musqua is the main one. And then you've got the branches off to the Toshoti. So he takes two groups in, he'll do a group and drop them off on opener for one or the other first on one day. And then he comes back, takes the second load out and, uh, yeah, he's not dropping guys at the same place, but you know, like I said, you can't control what, um, what the other resident hunters or the outfitters are doing. So, uh, Jason will tell you, you got to have, uh, he's got, you, you have plan A that you tell him kind of where you want to go, or he'll offer you some advice. And then there's plan B, C, D, and E that you uh, figure out on the fly. If you pull it up to your drop point and there's a boat parked there or something like that, but there's so much country up there. You know, you look at that river system, the networks we have in BC, you just, you can go just about anywhere. Well, and that's just it too. If you end up in an area and someone's in that area, you just hike further, right? You just got to put the boot leather on, and you're you're going to find a drainage that there's no hunters. It's not like there's hunters in every single drainage. You just got to put the effort in. And yeah, you might have to hike two days back from the lake, but then you're hunting by yourself. And anytime I've gotten to a lake and there's been somebody there, it's just like yeah, you just got to hike for a couple of days, and then you got the yeah. Place we had we had the so same thing happen to us. Uh, I mean, the risk you run uh, in Region Six when you're when you're flying in is you've got different air services that are dropping groups of guys. So you might call your charter service, you know, pick one, whether it's, you know, Clapan or BC Yukon, you pick your lake and, you know, they say, all right, we don't have anyone else on there. And then you fly in and two other charters have dropped guys there. Well, we ran into that two years ago and we just landed at the lake. The beauty of landing at a lake is you're more than likely landing in, right in sheep country, in the Alpine or very close to it. And you just try to figure out which way those guys went, and you go the other way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, cool. Okay, so um, for for guys that are looking at maybe um, doing a transporter on a, a jet boat, what are we looking for booking? Like, uh, I know with the float plane guys, you got to book early. Like, if you're booking now, good luck. Um, but uh, – 
certainly guys will book in January, February, and that's sort of well. I can only tell you what I do, and that's usually uh, you know I think Riverjet will start taking bookings at the end of the hunting season, usually in October, and I pretty much reserve my spot right then because um, again we're going in for opener, so I think that you know he'll take seven or eight guys or so on a boat, you know, all different camps and whatnot. So my suggestion is, um, you know, book as early as possible. Uh, if not, just give them a call because, uh, you know, Jason runs that river every day for a couple of months. So he can usually squeeze you in. Uh, I don't think getting the transportation is usually not the issue so much as getting a spot, right? Finding the right place. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly not as restrictive as the, as the charters right. for sure. Yeah. And I guess one thing, you know, Chuck, let's just touch a little bit about on this is that a lot of guys are like, well, I could just get my own jet boat and then I have that flexibility. I can go where I want. I want to do all that stuff. And there's a whole bunch of issues with that. There's logistics issues. Um, those guys have fuel caches all along the river. Um, guys that do this um, successfully that hunt these, especially the further you get away from the main areas uh, where you're dropping your boats, uh, you know, they're literally going like, dozens slash hundreds of miles up these river uh, areas and they've got fuel caches along the way. So that's an issue. Um, and then some oh, of these yeah. rivers are freaking dangerous, man. Like how many, have you seen any, many crashes? You know, along personally the river that, we, we um, haven't seen any, but you know, every year result. when we go up there, just talking to uh, Kevin in the past and Jason now, uh, I mean, <laughs> one of the services Riverjet offers is uh, boat rescues and that keeps them busy. You know, they do a lot of things other than hunters and, um, you're dead right. I mean, the, and the other thing is that uh, those rivers can the conditions change overnight. Uh, you get a dry, you know, a dry stretch leading up to, you know, especially up to opener or or after, and all of a sudden, you know, what was a foot of water is now two inches, and you get you know log jams and all kinds of shit. So yeah, you're right. First of all, you know, I, anybody who owns a jet boat themselves and and runs it up those rivers. Uh, my hat's off to them just because of that in, in itself. You, you look at the the local guys north of, you know, northern BC that are up there all the time. They know those rivers all, they're like the back of their hand. And uh, yeah, super dangerous. But you know, it's it's that's the key to access if you can do it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and that's that's the key takeaway is just be careful. I've heard of so many stories. Uh, Last year we were up hunting and we were along the, one of the rivers. I won't give away my secret spots here, but uh, and uh, one of the uh, we ran into the outfitter and the, you know they they get uh, river jet to bring their guys in and they there was uh, two or three boats that were submerged and yeah. lost in the river. Nobody was killed, but uh, you know that there's just a litany of accidents along those rivers in northern BC. And if you don't know exactly. what you're doing, it's not the place you want to be. So. Um, yeah, it's a great, great to have Jason and, and River Jet and use those guys because they know exactly what they're doing. No different guys think, oh, I'll, yeah. I'll just buy my own airplane and fly in on, on a hunt. And it's a great idea if you're good and you're like you put the effort in, you figure it out. But there's been a few train wrecks along the way. Or yeah, you know, and the other the, the other one that I hear good things of is these. Uh, there's a couple other operations I think that run um, you know the Packer option on horseback, and I think uh, you know that's something I've never done, but uh, it's on the bucket list for sure. I think it'd be great. I've done a couple of horseback hunts for elk and things like that in the past, but I, I would think that that would be about as close as I would be able to afford for sure on going on an outfitted hunt. I mean, 
you know, the barrier to entry, like you said earlier, for a guided hunt uh, is the outfitter willing willingness to take you on and or take a resident into his area. And then uh, there's also that 60,000 plus barrier dollars that you have to spend to get it done, right? Yeah, and I don't think they charge that for, like, they'll take a Canadian resident probably i'm guessing i've heard of cheaper cases or certainly a bc resident but the issue is is that yeah you know they're kind of giving away their secret spots which is you know that's their livelihood right so i, I get it i can understand why but that said you know there's outfitters there that will work with you and they'll try and find areas and support you and and i you know i've talked to some outfitters some some outfitters yeah. that just don't want anything to do with anything to do with residents i've heard other ones that say give me a call and you know like uh I don't I don't want to see you when I'm out there and I'll, I'll send you to mm-hmm. an area that's away from my area. But, you know, I guess the big thing is as residents or whatever, we need to be respectful of what's going on there with the outfitters, too, and, and trying to find an area that works for both. Right. Like we're both on the landscape. Let's do what we can to support each other. And I've had some really good contact and uh, dialogue with uh, guides and outfitters over the years. And then there's others that. They're not too happy to see. Yeah, exactly. Uh, At the end of the day, it's their livelihood. You understand that, but it's also public land and it's massive area. Lots of room. Yeah, there's a lot of lot of room out there for everybody. Yeah, well said. Um, Just for our listeners, anyone that's interested in uh, maybe doing booking a a trip with uh, RiverJet or or any any other the uh, that run. I don't like. I said. I think that. Jason's the only one that runs that outfit, but what do you look for costs? Like what, like, I guess it depends how far up the river you go, but what's an average cost? I have yeah, no off the top of my head. I think, uh, for a sheep hunt, I think he's in that 1800 to $2,000 range, depending on his fuel cost per person, which, um, you know, I think it's, you know, right. certainly worth it when you look at what's involved. So it's, you know, it's not outrageous, right? I mean, I don't think it's all that different right. if you were splitting a plane with a couple guys, you know, two guys on an, on an air charter just depends how far how many air miles you're flying i guess but uh yeah so that's the range yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah so it's affordable right and it's a good option because again they, i know they do drop they're pretty careful where they drop guys off they're they're going to put them in sheep country if you're going sheep hunting or elk hunting or whatever they're going to send you in to the right area they're not going to send you an area where there's no no sheep for or no sure elk or for whatever sure you're after so yeah, it's pretty good in that regard yeah Certainly, yeah, a and then crashing your own jet boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So, okay, um, so are you a member of the Less Than One Club? You got a ram? Oh, on I your haven't. Belt. I'm not an official me member of the Less Than One Club. I am a member of WSF. Mm-hmm. I do not have a sheep under my belt yet. Um, have been on one successful sheep hunt. And it was, I think, it was the second year that I that we did a trip. I took um, I took two buddies in. And we managed to get uh, the one fella really nice, you know, broomed off, real old. Well, not really old. He was actually aged at nine, but very mature, uh, big, heavy ram. And uh, it was great. I, I could have shot that ram. Uh, my concern with it was I was shooting on age and not on full curl. And I'm, you know, I'm still very concerned about that. Um, but, you know, he had all the characteristics. He had... You know, he was the boss of the ram. I think on that trip, um, on that particular trip, we had a drainage that had close to 40 sheep in it, um, 40 rams, I should say, in that drainage. And um, there was a lot of young um, up-and-comers. And we watched this guy for five days. And these guys, when they... 
So I sent the two boys up to kind of watch, uh, get in position on this sheep. And, and I sat down at camp and kind of glassed and watched the whole operation. Um, these sheep, actually, it's a cool story. These guys were bedded down on the side of a grassy slope and the sheep were feeding there every day. We had them patterned. And the, the band of rams fed right up just below them and then bedded within, literally within, well, the closest one, I think, was six or seven yards from these guys. So they laid on their backs all day in the sun and the grass getting eaten alive by mosquitoes. And the big ram was like 70 yards below them, just out of sight all day. So I was in reaching them saying, like, whatever you could do, guys, don't move. They actually had a banana ram walk right up to one of the guys when he was sleeping and started licking the bottom of his boot when he was walking by. So it was like last light, um, the big wow. guy stood up uh, about a half hour before a legal shooting light was up. And at 70 yards, these guys were able to put a spotting scope on him and spend like half an hour with him broadside, both sides, and like check, double check, triple check, and then made the decision he was legal and shot him. And then um, we packed out of there and... Um, got him CI'd and I think the CI said depending on who age who which CI was aging him he was a minimum of nine years old so really nice ram and and it was a super fun hunt and that was our that was our um that was my first um experience with a, a successful sheep hunt and it was this this fella's first ram so it was a really cool trip yeah one for the books awesome so Let's talk a little bit about that. Like, so, you know, we, there's no secret. There's been some issues with um, underage rams shot and all. You know, how, how do you find yourself when you're in a scenario, you've got 40 rams on the landscape, you're looking at them, you've never killed a ram, you kind of get, you know, you get itchy, you have this, like, you want to be successful. We're kind of driven to be successful. You know, how do you manage your emotion when it comes to that? And how do we sort of articulate that, you know, patience? So, you know, you've been hunting, you yeah, said, pretty close, you say, yeah. 40 years or something like that or or more um, and you're still, you know, you're still showing that restraint. How do we sort of articulate that, how important that is and, and how do That's you That's a really that good question. Um, for me, it was the anxiety of making a mistake at, at that level, you know, taking an animal's life when it may or may not be legal just isn't worth it to me. You know, this is a, there's, and I, and I look at it, you know, I was, when I did that trip, I was 52, so I'm 55 now, yeah, so 52, and I looked at it and went, in my mind, I was thinking, I'm going to sheep hunt until I cannot get my ass up this mountain. Like, I'm going to keep coming back until I find the ram. And, um, you know, so I, I held back, and, and I said, guys, you do, you go for it if you want, but I'm not shooting on age. Uh, you know, for me, it's, you know, you have to make a mature um decision when you're out there in the field and uh, i wasn't in it for glory i wasn't in it to have a nice instagram post uh, you know for me as a hunter and i'm trying to teach my kids the same and they all understand and respect that it's it's not about just killing an animal and holding it up for a photo that's very cool and we'll talk about that later when we get into the platform the grip and grin photos are great but you know, it's all about how you get to that photo, in my opinion, versus the photo itself. So for me, it was the adventure, learning how to sheep hunt, being able to sit there for a week and glass, you know, 30 plus rams, watch them. You know, if there was three nights in a row uh, right before sunset that we were sitting having our dinners watching rams fight, you know, smash 
butt heads and you know knock each other around. We watched them you know interact with each other the entire week, and for me, it was the most incredible thing I've ever seen. So that was what it was about for me. And so my advice to young hunters, especially young hunters, you guys got your whole entire life to kill a legal ram. Don't take a chance. You know, if it's if it's too close to call, just you know, put your gun on your shoulder and walk to another ridge and start glassing. Yeah, yeah, great advice for sure, Chuck. Um, okay, so let's let's segue a little bit into that now. Let's talk about um, about what's going on with uh, the new platform. So. Kind of introduce us to, to Spike Camp and what's involved there, and because there's a whole bunch of stuff that we just talked about that tie into that. Yeah, sure. So um, one of my kids, Blake, the the middle one, who's my sheep hunting partner, he works in the uh, digital marketing space. Um, which, if you ask me to describe that, you know, I'm the wrong guy to ask. But uh, his forte is everything tech and you know, uh, website design. Um, the uh, marketing side, the whole bit. And him and I have been talking about a project for the last few years. And um, I'm, you're aware of this, but a couple of years ago when all those uh, short sheep were shot, um, it kind of angered both of us that, you know, we're, we were making our community look really bad. Like our, our the sheep, especially the sheep hunting community was ridiculous. And I think I heard Bill say at the sheep show that, the final number for that year was like around 40 rams that were, were taken back, um, which is ridiculous. Or is it 30? I can't remember. It was a lot, way more than we thought. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it was quite that high. And then some yeah, of those rams, true. there were for, other reasons they were confiscated too. Like whatever. Yeah. You guys, yeah, but it, regardless yeah. that the yeah. number and was exceedingly high. And if you look, I think high, if you look 100%. for the last couple of years since then, it's drastically reduced. So we're doing a good job. But, you know, Blake Blake came back and um, within a couple hours created a little website on aging sheep, just, you know, more or less to try to get something out there uh, and just basically pooled all the resources together. So we, we looked at that and, and talked about it. And um, there's a number of reasons why Spike Camp came about. Um, and the other side of it was um, we look at the, uh, the the resources that are out there for the hunting community today. Um, with regards to forums and Facebook pages and and things like that, the uh, the forums themselves and Facebook are are very restricted and highly censored in some cases. And uh, you know, there's no real filter as far as the community goes itself. So we thought, you know, what if we were to create a um, an online community, a network that's available for hunters. Uh, and in order to be part of that uh, community, the hunters themselves need to be conservationists first. And so, you know, we, we came up with this plan to create the network, find the platform, and then open it up to uh, hunters that are members of conservation groups. And we chose wildlife conservation groups first and foremost because there's there's so many groups out there. So, you know, the first groups that we, we chose to be um, – uh, sort of partnering with, if you will, or Wild Sheep Society, BC, uh, Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance, and also the Wild Sheep Foundation of Alberta chapter. Cool. So the let's talk a little bit about um, 
the the platform itself. So how's this different? What's it? Uh, so let's say for a, you know your Facebook or your Instagram user, what's Basecamp can offer that these uh, other two programs are. Uh, yeah. So first of all, yeah, like I said, in order to be a member of Spike Camp, you need to be a, an active member of one of these groups that we choose to support. So when you register, um, you know, you, you go through, uh, there's a landing page, that's, which is a website, uh, just sort of describes what we're about, shows the uh, partnership groups that we have there, the conservation groups. You hit the login button or the, the join now button. So you will fill out, uh, basically you go through an application process and you disclose which groups you're a member of. And then uh, we, we will verify through our uh, contacts at those groups uh, just to make sure those members are actually active. And then once you're on the platform, uh, it's kind of, you know, I, I guess to, to try to describe it, it's basically a combination of a, of a discussion forum uh, Facebook with some traits of Instagram. It's got all kinds of things. So you, you go in and you, you're you automatically uh, subscribed to the general hunting space, which is a discussion topic, the conservation space, and uh, I think it's the help and support. And I'd have to check with Blake on that because I, I didn't actually do it myself. But once you're in, there's a, a ton of discussion topics that you can subscribe to, and you basically create a feed. So then, um, you know, your feed will update you. you. There's actually an app as well, which is part of it. We, we actually use a, uh, a platform. It's a, a private network platform uh, commercial that's out there. Uh, it's called uh, Mighty Network. We demoed four or five different platforms before we settled on this one. Um, and like anything, you know, unless you're building it from scratch, it's not going to be 100% perfect. But this one, uh, the Mighty Networks platform, checked most of the boxes that we wanted. So once you're on there, there's uh, there's all kinds of things you can do. You uh, very easy to post photo and video. Um, so we encourage guys to do that. Get in there and you know share your stories. You can private message each other. So there's a message uh, platform in there as well. Uh, we can do uh, live video and um, sort of like the live feeds, if you will, if we wanted to have a seminar or a guest speaker on there. Uh, realistically, Kyle, the, uh, the the sky's the limit with what we can do with this platform. And um, there's a, a section there for um, for including some sponsors. You know, we haven't sold anything yet because we haven't got any. We haven't got the product completely up and running. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's really it. So Spike Camp is, um, you know, like I said, it's available um, to hunters as long as they're part of one of those groups. And we may or may not add uh, the qualifying groups. We might add some more as time goes on. But we're kind of working in a scaled mode where, you know, we're, we're being super careful. We're trying to do everything right. We don't want to make any mistakes. Kind of a one-shot deal when you start something like this. Okay, so I, I I've had the luxury of being part of this, um, Chuck. You you brought me in uh, a while back now, and I've been on the platform for uh, certainly a few weeks, uh, if not a month or so. And um, the one thing I notice about there's a lot of mentorship. There's a lot. It's very inclusive, uh, very supportive. And I, you know, I, talking to you, it seemed like there was a that was one of the objectives, right? You you wanted this the safe space where people could post their pictures, feel comfortable, ask questions. Uh, support one another 
let's talk about sort of you know what what kind of your vibe or culture you guys are trying to create there with yeah i mean uh, you nailed it it's it's certainly inclusive when when we started the um the beta testing uh phase um we went out and kind of handpicked you know people that we knew in the space and a wide range of people right so we had um, sheep hunters we've got guys that are uh, new some fairly new hunters in there uh, we had a wide range of people get on there to uh, to kind of test it out, and then we expanded it a little bit further to include some of your team. Some of the uh, wild sheep executive got in, and um, if you look at the uh, platform, um, like it's basically got a menu on the side when you're on it, and it's got the um, it's got the categories, the discussion topics, which are you know that's what I call that's the meat and potatoes of the of the platform where. Um, you know, you've got a, a hunting gear section, you've got a, a sheep hunting section, a goat hunting space, guns and handling, archery, international hunting. Uh, and that's that's the fun stuff. That's where guys are going to talk. They're going to share pictures and ask questions. We can do polls and surveys, all kinds of fun stuff. You get a little farther down, there's a, a small section for classifieds where you can post an ad for hunting gear, or guns or whatever you're selling. Uh, but the real important part um, for us, and I think the real exciting section is the hunter resources section, which we're we're developing now. Uh, and right now, we've got some placeholder um, spaces in there. So if you click on the hunter resources section, that'll pop up. A, there'll be a menu for hunting podcasts. So we've got, you know, of course, Talk of Sheep is up there, and some of our other favorite podcasts are listed in there. Uh, there's a space for education and safety, and that's going to be something we're going to. Um, we're going to develop, so we'll have some, you know, interesting information and resources in there for hunt, people getting started in hunting. You know, there'll be links to uh, providers that uh, will offer core classes and and first aid and all kinds of things. There's a news, content, and events section, which we're uh, we're we're kind of allowing other groups like BHA is uh, in there and they're advertising some of their events. Um, so we're trying to support and unify all the groups that are that are in our game. Uh, one of the things we're we're going to be looking at doing as uh, the hunting season rolls around, it's probably going to start with black bear hunting. Um, I mean, the real gold on uh, as far as spike camp goes is the membership that we have. When you look at the uh, the members that we're registering for spike camp, these are you know put your money where your mouth is type of people. They've already paid a significant amount of money to become a member of one or in, in most cases many of the conservation groups and so those those hunters that are in there for the most part are experienced hunters that have a lot to offer um, if you look at the member list and that's the other thing that we have is uh, when you register I guess you could put a fake name in but everybody puts their own name in with a profile picture but if you look at the roster of of hunters that are members just today we have about a hundred and just close to 160 members now um, there's a lot of stone cold killers on that list that have a ton of experience so for example black bear season is right here right now uh, i'm going to send a message out to the group um, the membership later on this week to try to get some well you know uh, black bear experts in and we're going to do q a's on black bear hunting so we're going to collect uh, do a survey on questions and get some questions in from folks and then have the experts answer. Uh, as we get closer to sheep season, we're going to we're going to have a section completely dedicated to aging sheep. And again, we want to do some live events, work with the Wild Sheep Society, get some experts in there, maybe some bios, get some opinions, maybe do a live event, 
we're going to have that space. Once it's in there, it's going to be there forever, and it'll. We'll try to get as many resources from all the different, um, you know, areas: Alaska, Montana, every, anybody who's got uh, information on aging sheep, and then of course our own BC resident and, and uh, experts that we have. So, um, you know, the idea is as uh, as much as we can. We want to get experienced hunters on there, but we also want the new guys and, and girls coming in. Um, don't be afraid to ask a question. Uh, one of our policies is you're not going to get flamed and you're not going to get shot down for asking a question. And um, this this site is not about politics. We have a zero tolerance policy when it comes to racism and you know all the all the bad shit that you see in in all these other forums and Facebook and everything else. So yeah, that's kind of where we're headed. Very cool. Well, first of all, I guess, uh, thank you. Thank you for creating this safe space and for, you know, obviously our members and the Goat Alliance and WSFAB, these are people that really care about the resource. So it's really cool to unite us with that purpose in mind because, you know, you look at, for example, you know, a lot of these pages that are out there on and whatever the case may be on Facebook or whatever, that they're not you know, a lot of those people aren't part of the conservation organizations. They're hunters or, or maybe not even hunters, which is fine. But a lot of them aren't sort of steeped in, in the space. So having that connection is really cool and, and kind of coming as that as the, I guess, the common theme that brings everyone together. I think that's really, really cool. Uh, and then just to get a comment about Spike Camp, the one thing I love about it is there's such a great resource, right? So it's like you said, you know, click on the bear hunting stuff. You know, you go to the sheep hunting page on Facebook, for example, yeah, there's a ton of resources there, but, you know, try and find something about backpacks or try and find something about, it's like, good luck, you know, and you, you scroll for days trying to find that crap, right? So unless you happen to be lucky and, and stumble across it. But with uh, Spike Camp, you just jump on, click on bear hunting, and it's specific there or, yeah. you know, gear or whatever the case may be. And uh, you guys have done a really good job of that. So it's it's really user-friendly. It's definitely, it's not just another form. Exactly. It's not a Facebook. It's not Instagram. It's completely unique. And I, I think in a good way, for sure. So I, I really like it. I think you guys have done a really good job. A lot of thought has gone into it. So where do you see it going from here? So you got, you know, you, now you're into the hundreds of members. You've just, this is, you're just opening the floodgates now. Yeah, where you know, you we've, we here? talked a little bit about the scalability of Spike Camp. Um, so our mission, you know, for us, it's not about, um, quantity as much as it is about the quality and um, when it comes to the content you know at the end of the day um, the real gold is the membership and that's where all the knowledge and the and you know the experience comes in and um, Blake and I are just the incubators right now you know we're just trying to get this thing going the long-term plan is um, this you know this becomes you know an entity of its own where Blake can spend a lot of time uh, ideally, in a perfect world, I'd like to see him full-time managing the content and driving, you know, it, it doesn't all have to be about marketing as much as, you know, when you say marketing, I look at the customer, it's unique because the customer that we have is the membership right now. And the resource that we have is also the membership, right? So it's all the hunters. And once hunters are comfortable uh, sharing their stories and their experience, it's going to continue to grow. And I think our, you know, with our our mission being, let's try and promote uh, membership to the conservation partners, that's going to 
push. So, so if somebody comes to us, and we had quite a few, I think, I don't want to say quite a few, but we have already had people apply and say, hey, I'm not a member of any of these groups. Would you accept, you know, a BC Wildlife Fed membership or a BHA? Uh, and we pol- politely tell them, you know, we, we recognize those groups and respect them. But in for now, we want you to be part of a wildlife conservation group. So here's the three or three that we support go get a membership. And I think in the first weekend, we had at least one life membership sign up and we had a few people. Um, We don't want to be the membership police. That's not our goal. But at the end of the day, what we want is, you know, we want Spike Camp to be known, like you said, as a safe, inclusive environment for hunter conservationists to be free and able to share information, share their pictures, um, you know, ask questions, um, suggest things that we can put on the platform. That's something else. I mean, right now, everything that you see there, uh, as far as the menu board goes on the side, it's all driven by just ideas that Blake and I have had. And some of our friends have helped us with some of that content, but, um, you have to be careful. I'm learning with these, uh, social media platforms, they'll take a life of their own and you have to be careful what that life looks like. And for us, conservation is first, and you know just a safe environment for hunters because if you go on some of these other platforms and you post a picture let's say you post a picture of a sheep and you've shot it and you're holding it and there's a little bit of blood on the face that you didn't get before you put the photo up um, throw that on instagram you're quite likely more than likely going to get that uh, sensitive content banning Um, you're probably going to get somebody commenting and you know trashing you for putting that on there that shit's not going to happen at Spike Camp. And we have a contest right now that we started, um, just a small contest, $50 Cabela's gift card, grip and grin contest, you know, show us your pictures, guys, get on there. And we've got all kinds of pictures on there. We've got sheep, we've got elk, we've got moose, we've got turkey, we got all kinds of stuff on there already. And it's just great because people are embracing it, they're loving it. And yeah, we just want to continue to grow, you know, in that direction. Right on. Okay, Chuck. So somebody wants to be part of this program. Um, you, you kind of covered all this now, but let's just for, to sum it up. Somebody wants to get involved. What do they need to do? Um, let's say, tell us about a member. Tell us about a non-member. So somebody's coming to the site. They've never been on the platform before. They, they're not a member of the three organizations. So if, what if they they're not a member and they're just curious, you just hit, uh, just type in uh, spikecamp.com and you'll go to our landing page. And on that landing page, you'll find the links to the conservation partners. So if you know you're not a member of any of them, then you might as well just either go direct to those websites, join up, get a membership, or go to our website, pick one. You know, you might want to go on to each website, and, uh, you know, each organization's site and just see which, which organization's right for you. If you live in Alberta, maybe it's WSFAB. Or if you're not a sheep hunter and you want to support the Goat Alliance, then you go to their site. So once, you, once you've done that, you do your registration, um, you'll disclose which group you're in, and we will verify. And um, as soon as you are registered, you will get a, a personal message from either Blake or I welcoming you to the site, giving you some suggestions uh, on uh, how to navigate the site. The other thing I didn't touch on, which I forgot about, is we have, uh, we have a help section on there as well. And that help section has a series of videos that Blake put together on, you know, just showing the basics on how to do all kinds of different things. 
how to post a story or an article, how to how to subscribe to the feed and all that. And then once you're in, you know, just figure out which uh, spaces you're interested in, subscribe to as many as you can, and just start to engage. Um, one of the things we've noticed, uh, ironically, is the group of hunters that we have uh, in this group, obviously targeting mountain hunting primarily. So you, most of, most everybody who's a member of WSS or the Goat Alliance is probably a mountain hunter. Um, we're all pretty tight-lipped <laughs> when it comes to sharing stuff. So we're you know it's a little slow to get the engagement going, but we're starting to see some real traction with it. And uh, like I said, we're trying all kinds of different um, different ideas to kind of trigger people to start to communicate a bit more. And got to remember too, it's not you know though it's just just bear season just opened in Turkey, so um, you know we we expect that by July August you know hopefully we have a few thousand members and you know the thing takes a takes a life of its own. Awesome, Chuck. Okay, that's uh, fantastic. So we'll put that in the show notes for people to get signed up. And uh, if you want some good karma, go and sign up Absolutely. to all three organizations, right? Wild Sheep BC, Wild yeah. Sheep Foundation Alberta, and RMGA. So all you know, all three good organizations. I'm a life member for all three. I love all three of those organizations. Um, but uh, if you're going to be picky, it's cheap, right? What's a membership? 50 bucks, 55 60 bucks, 60 um, And that gets you the subscription to um, to on to spike camp plus you're you're supporting conservation and, and all the great work that's going on there so um anything to wrap it up chuck uh any last i don't think so kyle that pretty much so covers far? it i just want to thank uh thank you personally and your team for all the support um you guys jumped in right away on the uh you know the request for help and the beta testing side of things and uh, you know, we're getting a lot of engagement from from all the Wild Sheep Society family members, and certainly appreciate it. We're going to be at the golf tournament. We're going to have, we're sponsoring a hole, so Blake and I are going to hang out there and meet a bunch of bunch of uh, Wild Sheep members as they go passing through. So, looking forward to seeing everybody there. Yeah, awesome. And you know, like some people might say, well, you know, how are you guys or why are you guys involved in this? And the thing for us is anyone that's out promoting conservation, like you guys are like this, the very heart of yeah. Spike Camp is conservation. And, uh, you know, anyone that doesn't want to be part of that is got to have their head examined, pardon my language. But uh, I just think it's a great platform. I love, you know, what you guys are putting out there in terms of the inclusivity, a safe space for hunters, um, you know, a, a resource, um, mentorship. And I will say that Blake put out that sheep aging uh, website a while ago, and uh, when I, I think you shared Michael it, I don't survey. Know, Blake I think out. we sent it to Mike. To yeah, I was like, oh my goodness, like this. Yeah. Okay, and I was like, wow, this is a fantastic resource. And uh, right away, I was like, oh my goodness, like we, you know, we need to get Blake involved in what we're doing here. And uh, so just seeing that, it, it, you know, I just had a lot of confidence right from the get go. And then just everything that you've done to Chuck in, in our community, which is our next little segue, and I want to just touch on that. So, Chuck, um, you donated a rifle around the Tom Leonard search and rescue raffle we did. So this was a year ago. Um, do you want to just give us the high-level notes on that? Just give us a two-minute uh, view on, on what the Tom Leonard, Leonard search is and why yeah, you're Yeah, very happy to talk about that. So, um I've been following that um, that story for many many years. Um, 
on one of the local hunting forums in BC, there's a dedicated segment and my credit, I give credit to the owners of that forum for leaving it up there for all these years. And every year uh, prior to hunting season, you start to see activity in that uh, segment on their, uh, on that platform. And I can't remember exactly what month or date it was, but um, uh, you know, we, we, we were traveling, I think we were coming back from a hunt somewhere, Blake and I, and, I played the your uh, talk of sheep episode with Tammy Leonard. Uh, we listened to it on the road, and um, honestly, it was just gut wrenching. You know, I'm a father of three. My kids are, I got one at 30 years old, and one or two that are in their mid 20s. And just listen to that story, and all I could think about was, you know, what if it was me? What what if I didn't come home, and my wife was left to raise, you know, these three kids? Um, you know, people get killed or die of cancer, and that's just absolutely tragic and terrible. But um, when that happens, there's closure, right? You you know, somebody passes, you 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 have a grieving period, and you get past it. Uh, in the case of Tom, you know, it's unknown. We, you know, it's quite obvious that he's probably not with us anymore. But there's no closure. And then when we got back, um, there was mention in the podcast of a, a YouTube video that his daughter had posted. And uh, I watched that video and I just literally just said, I got to do something. And if you recall, I picked up the phone. I'd never met you before. And I, I reached out and just said, hey, Kyle, I got we got to do something. We got to get a search organized. And so, yeah, I had a gun. Um, and I'm really good friends with Gary Flock, who's obviously I mean, he's a member of WSS. And Don Lynham is a buddy of mine and uh, really admire what those guys have done over the years with the, the constant donations done every year, just gun after gun after gun, and they raise money. And so I thought, you know, if I'm going to do that, um, I'm going to give a rifle to this cause. I want it to go, I want the proceeds to go specifically to funding the search for Tom. And, you know, obviously that uh, that rifle raffle sold out, I don't know, was it three hours, three and a half hours, something like that. It was ridiculous. Uh, it was six hours. Amazing. It was the quickest we've ever sold a raffle in the history of the society. We had we sold twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean that in, right uh, there. That speaks to the that speaks yeah, to our community. You know, uh, I, I would venture to guess that almost all the members we have today in Spike Camp probably bought a ticket. So yeah, I mean uh, once once that gun was gone and 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 sold and um, you know the money was raised, then the professionals took over. Joey Prevo and his team and. Uh, Dave from uh, the search and rescue and up there in uh, in Terrace. I mean, those guys are the heroes in this whole thing. You know, flying in there and doing all that, all the grid searching. And uh, honestly, I hadn't never met Joey in person until the uh, uh, members, uh, the life member breakfast at the show a, a few weeks back. And him and I sat at the table together and we just talked about it. And uh, you know, honestly, uh, it's not over. Um, as you know, they haven't uh, they haven't concluded any real solid findings there. They did discover some things. Um, at this point, it's not really being um, disclosed too much as far as what they found or what the next steps are. But um, they didn't find Tom, as far as we know. And uh, you know, there's still I think there's still a need or um, at least a willingness from the community to get back out there and see if we can find him. Uh, the question now is, you know, what are, what does Tammy and the family want us to do? Because it's their decision. If the, I think honestly, if they if they're interested in pursuing another search, uh, I'm sure 
there's enough of us in this community. We could we could easily turn around and, and raise enough funds to do an, another search. And I would be behind that. And so would Spike Camp 100%. Awesome. Yeah, so the, the proceeds from that raffle, we raised 20000 We took the proceeds, and that went directly to Terra Search and Rescue. We cut checks directly to them, went to helicopter time um, and logistics and getting in there. And, and they conducted a... A multi-day search and they unfortunately were not successful in in recovering tom or finding uh, his remains so um yeah they sort of that saga continues for anyone that's interested you can go back to listen to uh, that podcast that we did with uh tammy uh tammy leonard which is uh tom's widow and that was in episode 45 yeah. so that's a great listen it's uh, it's heart-wrenching i you know there was there was a lot of tears yeah. on that bloody podcast and your heart goes out to her family but uh but anyway chuck i just want to commend you and your you know your i guess your heartfelt uh donation and the support you gave that because uh, without that raffle we couldn't have done that and that search they needed money they they came to us and they reached out to us early on and said hey would you guys support this and we made a a token donation you know we obviously had limited resources we could i think we made a five hundred thousand dollar donation towards it which was way too inadequate but this raffle allowed them to do that and without that there wasn't the money there for it so uh hats off to you my friend um amazing and just um you're doing great stuff in our space and we love members. Well, like, thanks uh, a lot. Chuck you know, it's uh, like I said, Appreciate um, we're here to drive conservation and membership to our, our partner groups. And uh, we're extremely happy and proud to be part of the wild sheep family for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Chuck. And uh, I envision having you back on and maybe uh, get you kicked out of the less than one club uh, this fall. We can talk about your sheep hunt and, uh, and better yet, we'll even talk about what's going on with Spike Camp and the great... Uh, Sounds good. You guys Thank you very much, Kyle. Appreciate you.